0: Hi, everyone. This is Dallin Wortham with the Charter School Connection podcast. Today's guest I'm very excited to speak with. Um, it's Mike Lally, Chief of Operations um, over at East Point Academy in South Carolina. And But before we kind of dive into their school and their expertise and insights that he's going to be able to give us today, um, we'd like to thank our sponsors Charter Connect, which helps boost enrollment for charter schools nationwide, and Enrollio, our new easy automated enrollment funnel. But without further ado, Mike,
1: welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Glad to be here.
0: Yeah, so uh, Mike Lally, Chief of Operations, East Point Academy. That sounds pretty cool. Tell us a little bit about before you were Chief of Operations at the school, how you kind of fell into education in the first place and kind of your breadcrumb trail to where you are today.
1: Yeah, I'm going to try to keep this brief, but it's a a kind of a lengthy story. So uh, school for me was always challenging growing up. So uh, learning didn't always come easily to me. I um, had to be held back because I couldn't read leaving the first grade.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and luckily I was a gifted soccer player. And so I was on a full soccer scholarship play college soccer in West Virginia. And that's where I kind of, kind of finally learned how I learned best. Um, was in college, and I went into college on academic probation, <laughs> um, <laughs> even from the start because uh, my scholarship was at risk, and uh, they wanted to make sure I was successful. But being in that program was called the William James Center, which, if you know about William James, you understand why it's called that. Um, they really helped me how I learn and uh, how I learn best, and so I had to change my studying and learning habits. Became a successful college student, and I just wrapped up my second master's degree. Um, so prior to this is my first year at East Point Academy, um, and my first year as an administrator. And prior to that, I was an elementary PE teacher for 18 years here in South Carolina. Wow! wow. So uh, amazing career. I never thought I would leave uh, the world of physical education. I just finished up. I have a banner over there. I was just the um, South Carolina state elementary PE teacher of the year um, last year. Cool. And uh, yeah, thank you. So I just finished that up and I finished my presidency as the uh, president of the state organization for health, health PE and dance teachers, um, which was a three year stint and a lot of work. Um, So I never thought I'd go into admin and I, I, COVID happened, and I just kind of reframed my thinking in a lot of different areas, and one of those was going into administration, and I took the leap. I was worried I wouldn't enjoy it as much as PE and uh, the reward of physical education and um, seeing the light bulb go off with kids, Mm -hmm. Um, but it has been rewarding. It's been very different, a big learning curve, but um, I'm very happy to be here as an administrator now, and I'm enjoying my job Um, my career change and uh, in East Point Academy home of the pandas home of the pandas so tell us a little
0: bit about that jump Um, what did you learn by making that jump and maybe what insights do you have for someone that is about to make that same jump
1: um I think my advice and I've done this in my career a little bit is it's important to take risk um Mm -hmm you know, without risk, I, I feel like you hinder your growth. Um, so whether it's taking a risk in what content you're teaching, um, or if it's taking a risk in a career move. Um, so I would always take risk with teaching new content in PE, um, w- even though there may have been a fear of looking silly. Um, it was better for the kids. And oftentimes I found when I taught a content I wasn't familiar with, I taught it better. Um, Mm. because I was worried about looking not great in front of the students and my peers as the other PE teachers. And um, so I studied harder. I I planned more. I worked on transitions more, um, things like that. Uh, Same with that. I left to get left teaching one time to go to the State Department of Education as the education associate for health and PE for the state. And that was a risk. And I did enjoy that. But I missed the kids. Um, And I went back to the classroom for four years before I went into administration.
0: Gotcha, rock on. I like how you said that when it's something that you're not familiar with, you do give it a little bit more effort than what you would if you could just kind of do something on autopilot. And so tell us a little bit about where you are now, a little bit about East Point, what makes East Point unique and kind of, you know, stand up from other school and education options for parents in the area.
1: Okay, yes. So I'm so glad we're doing this because this is my chance to brag on East Point. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm so happy that, that I'm here. And one of the schools I worked at for 13 years and East Point have a lot of similarities and uh, th- th- what they, they're just very special places and it's hard to put it into words. It's more of an experience, so my first teaching job was at a elementary, a local elementary school, very high achieving school. I've been offered the job at two other local schools, and I'd gotten an interview at this other school, and immediately after I finished my interview and I had a tour of the building, I knew I wanted the job there. It just had a feeling about it, um, and it's hard to explain. A sense of calm in the hallways where you know there's established procedures and expectations, a uh, common language throughout the building, wh- um, whether it has to be life skills or things like that. But East Point has a very similar feeling. Um, so there's a real sense of community here um, and it, there's very high expectations and students are held accountable for those high expectations. And um, of course we also make sure every, every child finds success. Uh, mm-hmm. We are a Mandarin immersion school. Oh, cool. um, yeah, so... Um, so our students get half of their instructional day in Mandarin. Um, so they, they're in a classroom with an English teacher getting English, um, language arts and social studies. And then the second half of the day or vice versa, they have Mandarin, science and math, all in Mandarin. Um, wow. So, so no, no English spoken. Um, we are a 4K through eighth grade school with two campuses. So we have uh, 4K through fifth grade on one campus and six through eight on another campus. Um, the 4Kers, if they enroll in 4K, are gradually eased into it. So a Mandarin teacher pushes into the classroom for one hour of the school day, but then starting in 5K in kindergarten, it's full immersion. Um, wow. So yeah, ha- half the school day in Mandarin, which is That's it's really cool. And that was new for me. In my job interview, I asked. I said, Am I, "Are we expected to learn Mandarin?" And they <laughs> said no. And they said it really quick. And I was, I couldn't quite tell if they were joking. And so I had to clarify. I said, "I, I want to make sure. Are, are you being serious?" And they're like, "Yeah, we tried. It's too hard." Um, so I guess the human brain by the age of thirteen really starts to lose its ability to form new language, which is ironic. In our country, we typically teach foreign language starting in high school. So um, yeah, a little anybody, late but yeah, it's a great, great school. We're super high achieving. If you compare our test scores with other high achieving, um, elementary schools and middle schools in the state of South Carolina, we're right up there at the top. Mm -hmm.
0: No, that's fantastic. And you kind of alluded to this, but why East point instead of those other schools, if those other schools were also awesome.
1: That's a really great question. And it's kind of one of the, one of the little perks of being a charter school. Um, So our head of school, his name is Mr. Hart, and it was his first year this year as our head of school. Um, Our former head of school retired. Uh, Mr. Hart was in my position as chief of operations, and he stepped into the role as head of school. Well, it just so happened that his grandson was playing on the same basketball team as my stepson. And so we were at a basketball game last spring and we got to talking and he said, you mind handing me your resume? And so the next <laughs> week I, I shot him off my resume and he replied back, would you be willing to come in for an interview as assistant principal? And I said, sure, that'd be great. Well, I hadn't f- even finished my administration degree. I was it was in the process of getting my master's in educational leadership and um the beauty of the charter world is that you don't always have to be certified. You know, there's 25% of the teachers that are allowed to be not certified. Um, but with the expectation here at East Point that you are working towards certification. Um, yeah, and yeah. so I wouldn't have been able to be hired for this school year at some of those other local schools because they want you to have your degree and your past your practice to have your certificate first. Um, but, you know. I learned a lot while I was going through grad school and starting here at the same time. I actually told Mr. Hart, I said, I think that's the best way to do it. Uh Because there was times I was in like um, law and policy, my law and policy class. And we would have a situation at middle school where I was like, hey, we're learning about this in class right now. This is amazing. Uh, I can put it into practice right now. But that's how I landed here. Um, And and that that really gives me, you know, I want to thank the East Point because, you know, ultimately, it kind of took a risk on me, a guy with little experience, and I hadn't finished my degree. I knew I was confident um, that I could do the job with my years of experience and the different things I've done, the different hats I've worn before. Um, but still, as a school, I could understand, hey, you know, and, and ultimately, I didn't get offered the job as AP. He said, you know, you interviewed so well, and you did so well, we really want to bring you on as chief of operations. Uh, so, <laughs> Yeah, so that's how I got here instead of one of the local um, traditional uh, public district schools.
0: That's fantastic. That's really cool. So as a chief of operations, could you tell us a little bit into or get, kind of guide us through a day in the life of a chief of operations person and some of the challenges that you face and how at East Point you're overcoming them? Because I'm sure that there's other Chief of Operations or administrators that are listening to this podcast, and they might be going through something similar and kind of want to know your perspective and how you tackle those things.
1: Sure. Um, It's always an adventure every day. (laughs) Um, So it's kind of a joke around here that um, if anybody ever needs to see me about something that I'm never in the office, then I'm always just kind of buzzing around. And that they, they have to walk quickly with me to ask a question. Um, but in a, in a day as the chief of operations at East Point, um, I'm doing anything from putting a literally a hard hat on uh, to go check out our building that we're having renovated at the middle school. And so I've been um, working with the um, office of uh, um, school facilities, the OSF at the State Department with getting a building renovated. Um, so that's how I've had to deal with mortgages had to deal with contractors, builders, um, OSF themselves, and uh, things like that. But I could go from that to um, I have to handle a discipline issue with a student. And then from handling a discipline issue with a student, um, I, I could be um, writing about our, um, our ESSER two funds and um, how we can apply it to paying the school psychologists. Uh, so, Mm-hmm. It, as I mentioned earlier, a lot of the things we do in the charter world um, are things that a district office would normally do in a traditional <laughs> school district. Um, but we have to do it ourselves. Um, we do have a school district that we're a part of, but th- they they um, they they don't really do things like a traditional school district in that you know we don't have a financial office at the district office that does our finances. We don't have an HR office at the district office that does our human resources work you know we do that all in-house
0: wow now that's <laughs> that's a lot of responsibility and yeah. could you maybe just um give us a little idea of the size of your school and the size of your administrative staff so that we can kind of have a better concept of what this means in regards to what you're having to do
1: Sure. Yeah. So at our elementary campus, we have 633 students um, in 4K through 5th, and then we have 170 students at the middle school. Um, So we're a little bit smaller at the middle school, and we have a little bit of room for growth at the middle school. We're basically at capacity here at the elementary school. In fact, the majority of our grade levels are on a waiting list um, or a lottery in order to get into our elementary school.
0: That's awesome. And I'm sure that there's some schools that are listening and thinking, man, I would sure love to have to do a lottery. I'd sure love to have a nice wait list. Do you have any tips for someone that is kind of struggling to get their enrollment up?
1: Yeah. You know, I think our charter is, is really helps keep our, our vision really focused. Um, so, I think if you, if you have a, a clear vision um, of, of what it is that you want, it makes it so much easier for other people to see and jump on that vision with you and get on board. Um, mm-hmm. I think we're very clear with our expectations and what we want and what's expected here at East Point. We're very clear that it's not for everybody. Um, you know, I have two boys myself, eight and six. And since I just started here, they didn't come with me this year, but we're, we're talking about um, bringing them here next year. And I think the eight year old could thrive here. Um, and I think it could be a challenge for my six year old. Um, gotcha. So, you know, doing language immersion is not for everyone, especially Mandarin. It's a, it's a, it's a rigorous language to learn. So, um, I think parents know coming in what it is we do here and what, we, what it is that we expect. And, you know, there's no transportation provided because we're a charter school. So 633 kids are getting dropped off in car rider lines. So those parents are committed to academic excellence. And um, whether they're, um, you know, wealthy or well-to-do or whether they live in poverty, all of our parents put forth the effort to put, you know, education as a top priority. Um, A lot of people think that our school is, you know, just a bunch of wealthy students and families. And that's not true. Um, We have a 49% free and reduced lunch here. And, um, but if you look at our test scores, they compare with a lot of schools that, um, you know, are way above, you know, they don't have that amount of free and reduced lunch that we do.
0: We're very proud of that. That is really cool. And how far does the farthest parent or student
1: drive to arrive? That's a great question. Um, And I don't know that, that exact answer um, but we encompass a very large area. Of course, any student in South Carolina is allowed to come to our school as long as they get transportation. Mm -hmm. Um, so all the surrounding counties here, we have students in all of them. Um, Calhoun County is a good hike. I know we have students there. Kershaw County is a good, you know, over an hour, about an hour drive, um, to get here trying to think if there's anyone further than that, um, Orangeburg. So um, we we do have some some parents and families that that do have a, a hefty commute to get their students here.
0: Gotcha. Well, that's cool. Yeah, I'm just curious because some schools kind of ask themselves, how far should I push my advertising before it becomes ineffective because it's too far away? So yeah.
1: cool. We do well, very awesome. little advertising, really. Um, a lot of ours is just word of mouth which, you know, we all know is typically the best form of marketing. Uh, oh, yeah. And, you know, when we got our test scores in, that was, we, we were like, let's get that on the website. <laughs> <laughs> so um, we did recently advertise on a local billboard. And, um, oh. but yeah, we haven't done too much of that. Um, we, we've been very lucky. That's awesome. And how long has East Point been around? East Point has been around a really long time. We've only been in our, our the building I'm in right now, the elementary school, for five years. And the school has bopped around to a few different locations as it's grown. It started in, um, if any anyone out there listening that's familiar with Columbia, South Carolina, Sandy's Hot Dogs, it was, was like a Columbia staple for many years, opened I think back in the early 80s but the school was started in a, in a former Sandy's hot dog stand. Um, <laughs> and so it's really seen an amazing growth um, through the years um, it, to turn it into to what it is today. And
0: do you know why or how the enrollment started? Because now you're not doing a lot of advertising. it's a lot of word of mouth but some schools might be just recently starting up and like, that's great, but we don't have word of mouth yet. Do you know how you got out of that startup phase? Or, cause I know that was before you came to East Point, but do you happen to have any insights into what they did to start off?
1: I don't know too much of that information. Um, I, I do know that, um, you know, it started with a core of families, that really loved the change from their zone school to us and they were real big advocates in at the early stages That's the awesome. parents were you know such a part of the school that they I mean we we want to make our parents feel like they have ownership of our school currently but I think back then they were almost literally a part of the school um, and so I think that helps when, when you're in the, the infancy stages of the school to have a really, really strong sense of family between the faculty and staff, the students in the, in the, the home families. Um, and then when you have that, I think it's, it's naturally going to grow. If you create that loving, nurturing environment, and especially if you add in strong academics, it's kind of a no brainer in this day and age. I think you're going to find success and grow naturally. And I also mentioned earlier, having that real clear vision, you know, what, you know, the fact that we're a Mandarin immersion school, there's no doubt about that when you come here. Um, There's no doubt about it when you, when we, when you look at our webpage. Um, So it's very, very clear and people know right up front, we're a Mandarin immersion school. Um, We have very strong, high academic standards. Um, We have very high expectations for behavior. Um, And Luckily, at a, at a charter school like this, it's not part of a large district. We can hold true to all those things. We don't mm-hmm. have to listen to a district office that tells us, you know, you have to follow this one protocol or that.
0: Cool. So why why Mandarin? And has it been that way since the start? Or yeah, why?
1: It has been like that from the start because, you know, when you write your charter, you have to kind of pick, who you know, right? W- what you bring to the table. And so it has been a Mandarin immersion school right from the start. Um, I'm not sure. I, I've heard a couple of stories about, about how the, the origins happened, but I'm, I'm not uh, strong enough on the story that, that I would want to put it on the podcast.
0: Oh, no, uh, that's good.
1: But it was a lot of interested, you know, from what I understand, it was a lot of very interested business people. Um, around a dinner table.
0: Now that's fantastic and maybe I'm just putting myself in the shoes of other administrators maybe they hear that that you have been moving to different buildings that you've been growing that you're renovating your middle school and maybe they're scratching their heads like how are they doing this like how are they able to um, grow and in regards to their facilities like I know there's so many charter schools that I've spoken with they're just like I don't know how we're ever going to get out of this little tiny hole in the wall. Do you have any tips for someone that maybe wants to be in a better, nicer building in five, 10 years from now?
1: Yeah. Well, so much of the charter world is, you know, where you see charters succeed or fail. It's money, finances, Mm -hmm. the finances are such a huge part of the charter world. And Unfortunately, I think you have a lot of well and a lot of people with good intentions that start charters and with an education background and that's what they know and that's their passion and that's great. But unfortunately, so much of the charter world is managing your funds and um, Mm -hmm. doing it in, you know, at first in a frugal way and then from there in a smart way. And I'll tell you, East Point Academy has been very blessed to have our head of school, um, Andrew Hart. He came on, I think, five years ago. And what he's done with the finances and how he's grown our finances and managed it, it has been extraordinary. Um, yeah. So, you know, a lot of charters are, you know, they're, they're scraping down to, to the bottom of, bottom of the barrel with their funds to, to make payroll um and we pride ourselves in in what we have in excess and um he's just done an an extraordinary job and and he he's trying to teach me the ways of that um because I don't have a finance background he also has his his MBA and he was in the he's a retired marine that was in the business world and so I'm trying to learn from him like a sponge um, about, <laughs> about all the finances, because the last thing I want to happen is that for us to go from the great place that we are in today because of him. Um, I, I, want to, I want to take it from from him and, and hopefully get us even further ahead.
0: I think that's awesome. I have a friend that runs a very successful nonprofit organization that helps people. And I said, how in the world do you have a successful nonprofit when everything is volunteer and budgets are skinny and and he just told me i run it like a business like i i'm i run it like a business i make sure that my people are paid well i make sure that we have a steady source of income and like he said a lot of non for profits struggle because they run themselves like a non-profit when it's like if you run it like a business with that mentality, you can then bless with your mission later, but you've gotta have like a firm foundation. And I feel like the same applies to charter schools. So I really liked your insight. Um, so is tell us a little bit more about um, like making sure that you have that connection with parents and teachers and students and faculty. You mentioned that it started with parents and that they're still a big part of your community and that word of mouth is kind of your big thing. You don't have to do a lot of advertising. How do you build that relationship and how do you maintain it? How do parents feel involved at East Point?
1: I think communication is such a a huge part of that. Um, Making sure parents are informed. And for some families, that may mean electronic communication. And for other parents, it might be that they need to park their car and walk their kid in the mornings and actually be able to say good morning to you in person um, as, as they drop their kid at school. And we want to accommodate both of those. Um, so we want to make sure that our um, electronic communication, uh, wh- whether it's Parent Square or um, whether it's on social media, or if they wanna have face-to-face, that we give them that too. So us as a leadership team and administration, we always wanna be very present. Um, I I know that parents know who I am because I am always around, whether it's morning car (laughs) rider line, afternoon car rider line, Um, they see me middle school campus, elementary campus, I'm all over the place. And I think just being very present helps with that. I think our school offerings help. So we have a ton of before school and after school offerings. Um, we are Arts in the Basic Curriculum School, and so that's part of the state grant that we have, and Arts in the B- ABC, or Arts in the Basic Curriculum, means that we have lots of arts offerings as extracurriculars, um, but also we, um, we push that into the classroom. Um, so we want the classroom tanda- the classroom teachers to be covering their standards, but also integrating some of the arts standards into their classroom standards. Um, so that's what where the term arts in the basic curriculum comes from Um, and it's it's not necessarily easy but it's not also that hard if you put a little extra time into planning your lesson plans to integrate the arts But we have a lot of different offerings Um, obviously Chinese New Year was a huge deal for us so our assembly was amazing um, doing um, the lion dance and the dragon dance and um, we have traditional Chinese drumming Um, so having all these different offerings for the kids that's um, a great opportunity after school for the parents to feel like it's not just a school for academics. It's a great social environment, um, and we really get to know the families by it. not just in the classroom and academics, but in these other opportunities. Whether it's archery, dance, run hard, um, all these we have panda players, which is they they do plays. Um, we have uh, just so many different offerings for them. That That's really
0: cool. I love that you mentioned all those offerings, but one thing that I that caught my attention the most was the carpool lane. I've interviewed, spoken with, helped hundreds of charter school administrators, a lot that are struggling, and they're like, oh, we're in this cycle of never having enough, and then I've spoken with charter schools where they're just fine. They are They are feeling fulfilled, they feel like they're helping their students, they're in the why not so much the how because they've already figured all that out and they're just rolling and i'm like what what are you doing like what's the secret and each one that appears to be doing well with their enrollment and expresses that they have enough there's no they don't have a scarcity mindset it's the carpool lane like they all say like i do carpool like i'm out there meeting parents morning evening cold hot like i'm out there Mm -hmm. and i'm like it's got to be more like I mean, maybe, but that's what I do. Like, that's my—that's what I do. And you just mentioned it. And I feel like a lot of schools that struggle, they go, oh, I have too much to do to do that. I kind of outsource that to other people. And they're just kind of stuck in their office and the books trying to just stay afloat. When it's like, hey, like the one thing that you need to be doing right now is be out there so that parents can see you with their children. Like, that's how the word of mouth starts. That's how the trust starts. That's how they, they know- your voice they know your face they
1: know your wave like let me tell you this if if i talk to miss smith in the car rider line every day for 93 days in a row she knows who i am and i pet her dog every day <laughs> and you know tell her good morning and tell her good afternoon or stay warm or stay dry drive safe whatever it is when her student has an issue at school and i need to make a not so pleasant phone call it's going to go a lot better yeah. <laughs> and, and you're going to get more than likely, you're going to get that support at home that you're asking for. Um, whereas if they don't, they don't not, not who, who's Mr. Lally. What do you do? Yeah, It's not going to go as far um, you, that you have to grab that as an opportunity. I, I mean, are there things that are piled up on my desk? I need to get done. Yes, but that's an opportunity. That morning car rider line and after, afternoon car line; those are opportunities. Yeah, I love that. Fantastic. Well, um,
0: Mr. Lally, is there anything else that you'd like to touch on? Any insights, stories, tips, tricks, books that you'd like to share before we wrap up?
1: No, I, I would say I know our head of school would um, would echo this, but um, you know we, we open our doors to any kind of visitors that would like to come check our school out or how we do things here, um, whether it's anything from how we run our car line procedures um, and get 633 kids um, in here every morning and out of here every afternoon safely. Um, or if it's how we run our curriculum, our schedule or anything, um, you could reach me um, here at my school or on my email and maybe you'll share that in the podcast. Um, but yeah, feel free to reach out with any questions or if um we could put our brains together and come up and try to solve solve a charter problem. I, I'd love to be on board with that too but I thank you for your time. I'd open up I open up the door to you too please come visit. Um, we're, we're, we're an amazing school that um, I think anyone would be happy they came to visit. Oh thank you for the
0: invite and I might just take you up on it. Anyone in the South Carolina area um, check out East Point Academy if you're a parent, I invite you to go to their website. It's eastpointsc.org to learn more. Um, Mike, thank you so much for your time.
1: Absolutely. Take care.